Today's webinar, Improve Your Go-To-Market Results with Better Collaboration Between Channel and Product Managers, is one of a regular series of webinars from Globalocity to help companies improve and sustain their sales from distributors, sales agents, and other indirect channels. Globalocity is one of the premier sales channel consultancies in the country. Through their global team of consultants, they are a one-stop shop for your complete B2B worldwide indirect sales channel and distribution needs. Now let me take a brief moment to introduce you to today's presenters. I have with me Mike Hunter and Doris Nagel. Mike Hunter is Globalocity's chief strategist. He's an internationally recognized business development expert with nearly 40 years of experience, helping more than 300 corporations over that period to develop and deploy their architecture and processes for sales, marketing, channels to market, product management, and corporate alliance programs. Mike has taught product management and channel management skills to more than 60,000 students. Doris Nagel is CEO of Globalocity. She focuses on international expansion, channel management strategy and implementation, business processes, risk management, and compliance. She has more than 25 years of experience and is a frequent speaker, blogger, and podcast host, a former DePaul School, DePaul Law School adjunct professor, and a regular columnist for Global Trade Magazine. Okay, so we're gonna start off with Doris. So Doris, the floor is now yours. Thanks so much, Laura. Hello, everybody, and thanks for joining us today. Just a quick review of our agenda. Uh, we're going to talk about the importance today of internal partnerships. And um, some of you who know that we focus a lot on external partnerships, partnering with third parties, might find it a little curious, why are we talking about internal partnerships, internal among functions within a company? And uh, we'll explain why internal partnerships are so important to being able to partner effectively with third parties. Uh, we'll talk about, as, as Laura mentioned, the channel manager, uh, the, their, their view of the world, We'll look at the product manager's view of the world. Um, and by the way, I should preface, we're, we're assuming in this webinar that product managers and, and marketing managers are really wearing uh, the same hat or wearing, this, wearing different hats but, but the same group. Um, we're aware some companies it's, it's the same. In other companies it's different. But I think you'll see that a lot of what we're talking about uh, is relevant to, to both and we're going to talk about some of the common disconnects and ways that companies frankly are leaving money on the table uh, by by allowing those disconnects to to continue um, we'll talk about the product management mindset the channel management mindset compare and contrast then we'll look at some ways that they can work together more effectively tapping into some opportunities that uh, allow you to get to some of that money that we alluded to is being left on the table. We'll talk about a framework to improve those internal partnerships, which by the way is a framework you can also use with your third parties. And of course at the end we'll talk about Q&A. So without further ado, let's get into this. Um, you know, most most partnerships, and there's there's a lot of research out there, um, about how many partnerships, different kinds that fail because they just uh, don't, they don't meet the expectations initially. But 
a lot of it has to do with uh, the the imbalance between tasks and relationships. And, I, and just to elaborate, um, most of us, particularly in in uh, Western based companies, are very focused on tasks. We have year and goals, we have quarterly sales numbers, we have very specific black and white measurable objectives and everybody is very focused on hitting those objectives. Uh, but behind the scenes to get to those goals there are um, really processes which we feel like a lot of companies really don't focus enough on and there are the relationships. We get nothing done, right? Unless other people in the organization or outside of the organization actually work with us to get those objectives met. And what we're going to focus on in today's webinar is really the relationship piece that we feel like a lot of companies really, really don't focus enough on. Um, so here's a here's a slide a lot of you have probably seen the idea of the iceberg concept which is that a lot of what we see of and focus on is frankly frankly what you can what you can see the things that are above the water um, and and yet I think we know intuitively that a lot of things are not quite on the surface and um, there's nothing like, for example, visiting a foreign country or negotiating with a foreign partner to start to realize how much you take for granted in your communication and your your processes and how you how you approach things. Um, there's a great book out there, in fact, uh, that's called "Fish Can't See Water," and what that the whole point of the book is that uh, obviously the fish can't see the water because they're in it and they wouldn't even know how to describe it differently. Um, and a lot of that happens in corporate culture, it happens in our behavior, where so much of what we assume other people understand is actually below the water. Um, and I think most of you intuitively can feel that probably that under the water stuff, unless it can be bubbled more to the surface, uh, it, it really can lead to a lot of communication breakdowns and communication breakdowns usually end up in breaking down trust which is a very very important component. In fact if there is one predictor to any kind of partnership success it is trust and the way to develop trust if you can't uh, have a mind meld with someone to to get to that the stuff that's below the water. You need a framework to be able to do that. So, um, Mike, I'm going to turn this over to you uh, to talk about some of the the, the different attitudes uh, that channel managers have versus product managers. Okay, very good. Thank you, Doris. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to walk you through a set of slides here. And, and actually, uh, when Doris and I were preparing for this uh, yesterday, uh, it, the example really came out of a uh, current client that we have, Berla Carbon, large uh, international uh, carbon company. So uh, as I go through some of the beginning slides here, uh, I'm, I'm just going to set the framework and then there'll be 
some material slides that we hit which are directly out of our experience and and working with this particular client so you, you, you see the sort of attitudes come up all the time I'm sure at your company there are no conflicts between departments uh, <laughs> but with a, a, a lot of companies that I've worked with in the past uh, that there are some there's some attitudes that are created that sometimes make it difficult for uh, internal departments to partner effectively with each other and, and you hear people saying things you know like they can't hit their numbers um, you know the uh, enough uh, they are uh, can't close the deals because all my marketing material is outdated and so yeah I mean you kind of get the idea of these you've probably heard them yourselves either in one of your jobs or in this job all right and, and it, then it goes back and forth it's uh, not just uh, one department right product management has their attitudes as well you know I'm saying geez we're doing all this work and handing them deals and they still can't close the deal so you know what's going on out there uh, channel managers sales teams and following their leads up uh, fine we're getting complaints from customers that they're not getting back to them uh, our partners don't even understand the product so our infield training doesn't seem to be that good um, everybody's gone through these particular things so when when we get on a project where it's really important where it's going to be financially productive for two different teams to work with each other, and that will be true about product management and channel management. Uh, we, we've got some structural issues that we we need to address. Now, we've been focusing um, on all of these webinars on uh, more or less processes, okay? And yet, one of the things Doris and I have uh, identified is there's a critical area in a skill set of learning. Um, how to how to work more productively with departments that have uh, similar overall corporate objectives, but their day-to-day -day objectives uh, uh, are somewhat separated. So you you look at the mindset, all right, of uh, 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 product management, all right, the key understandings that uh, they have, and I'm not going to give you all of them, but just a few examples here. Now they they've got to be really concerned with you know comprehending key marketing concepts and how they're going to relate to the channel. Uh, sometimes there's an information disconnect there. They're not getting enough feedback from uh, the distributors or from your uh, reseller partners. Uh, understanding the importance of different channels, all right, and uh, where they are in the in the product life cycle. I mean they they've got obviously product managers. Are oftentimes in a marketing environment, or marketing is within a product management environment. So, now they're they're you know very much focused on you know trying to create the demand out there for uh, the uh, uh, partners for sure, and and for the, the the channel managers as well. All right, they they're used to um, doing things like deep analytics in terms of well launching a new product or evaluating the business impact of a major change in a product right uh, they go deep in their processes on the marketing plans and you know how to get the the, the um, value proposition out to the, uh, the the marketplace so it does create the uh, end-user interest you know promotional vehicles and so forth so they're all focused on on that side of the business when we look into the channel management mindset 
you're going to find out this is a pretty complex job as well. You know, the scope and responsibilities uh, uh, of the uh, uh, product manager, how, how do we work more effectively? We guys need to feed product management more voice of the uh, channel insights, uh, need to provide product performance data to product management. Sometimes uh, that data just trickles in uh, or is uh, uh, only really explored when we, uh, we have issues. Uh, managing the partner and end user value delivery experience. The, the product manager is really uh, focused on the, the entire thing, the, from the concept of a product all the way through its end of life. Uh, the channel manager obviously is going to be focused more downstream and you know, making sure that sales happen and they properly support the partners. So you get these kinds of things. Uh, the key to understand here is that you're really managing two unique experience paths, all right? Um, and channel partners need to know how to deliver uh, the, the, the value proposition uh, uh, more effectively. I think probably some of you, you know, struggle with that with an ongoing process, making sure you get, you know, consistency in uh, uh, both the marketing uh, program, which is producing the demand, and the ability to convert that demand. So the next set of slides I have coming up here is going to look at the uh, ecosystems that these two uh, internal departments uh, work on. This is a pretty interesting slide right here. You'll probably be uh, discussing it on the inside. Th th this is a, a, a large environment. As you can see back on the left-hand side, the, the conception of a product, the ideation process that produces a product or a new product is only a very small portion of the R&D connection to, uh, uh, to the product management process. Then there's all of these other um, really pretty um, important and detailed processes that go on that drive the life of that, uh, that product manager. Defining the product and then you know, getting into the product development process is, it, itself, which is fairly technical. Launching the product and then obviously the channel manager comes in when you go into in-life uh, product management and you're trying to support uh, the, uh, the active sales of the product. All right, and then there are all these other supporting processes that they have to be concerned about. How do I get the voice of the customer and customer insight? Uh, value propositions, as I've mentioned, pricing management issues. So, I mean, they are fully absorbed here, all right? And uh, um, when, to, to create the value that we're talking about, which is in the end result, increased sales and more profitability, all right? They are necessarily dependent on others to feed them information. Uh, that will help them do the best demand creation job they can. Okay, so that's that's a big ecosystem. These guys are these guys are busy, but so are the channel managers. The channel managers, even though they're downstream and actively looking for sales, all right, have a broad range of responsibilities here. You can just go through a few of these yourself and see how that works out with the way that you're organized. But everything from recruiting partners to uh, establishing the professional relationships with the partners and the partners' accounts, uh, meeting assigned targets, you know, proactively assessing and clarifying, validating partner needs on an ongoing basis. It's a, it, it's a much more complex job than most product managers actually have appreciation for. And that's perfectly understandable. You're working in two different worlds, but there's also this core collaboration need because there are dependencies between the product manager and the channel manager and vice versa, okay? So this is coming directly out of um, this project I was talking about with Burla, 
okay, so the next few slides. What, what we recognized, uh, and this may also give you a sense of how many different kinds of partnerships there might be. Um, some years ago, I created a, a concept called a value delivery mechanism because, because of these disconnects in corporations. And what it was illustrating is a core set of departments in a company that uh, deliver the most obvious the value delivery path, all right? And it starts back at R&D, who needs information about uh, what kind of product should we develop. Then various organizations uh, uh, drop into that process, whether it's manufacturing, production, operations, engineering, IT. And then it sits in, in product management, who's managing all of that upstream R&D back there. Well, when the product goes live, we launch those products or we manage the portfolio. Marketing has to get actively involved. The direct sales force has to get involved, and then the channels obviously is uh, as well. So we, we've spent, in, in my case, uh, you know, 40 years trying to get companies to improve how these various inter internal dependencies can be managed more more effectively. All right, and and so it's very interesting to me. We spend so much time developing process models, um, you know, like like the. Uh, the case gate in, in product management, which is deeply technical sometimes, depending on what kind of business you're in. Uh, and yet, one of the things that we, we, we know, and there's so many stories out there like this, uh, uh, the key skill set of how I actually do build a relationship more effectively is, is simply not taught. Um, there are some soft skill courses out there that people have have gone to, but a lot of them aren't directly um, uh, focused on the, these these uh, key issues of, of exactly how, all right, and what particular skill sets do I need to improve my relationships with 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 other uh, kind of partners I'm, I'm working with, and we, we see this come up in all kinds of things, alliances, uh, joint ventures. Uh, it's it's an it's endemic in almost any kind of organizational relationship. So, what we have to recognize is basically the overall corporate uh, orientation is you know to achieve the objectives of the of the, of the company, and both uh, channel management and PMs are trying to play close the same gap, and that is get to a point where. Uh, our, our clients, our end user clients, all right, see the value of our product and we can close deals. All right, we can grow the business uh, on the top line and we can become more profitable. So the, there's a buyer problem involved in here, all right, and there's a vendor side of the, uh, the entire thing that has to be addressed to close that gap. So with the Burla people, what we did is we, we built this little model for you that's up right now because we had to recognize that you know, the buyer problem-solving issue is something both channel managers and uh, and uh, product managers have, have in common. It's one of those joint objective environments, right? So what we what we did was, was analyzing what, what is the earliest time when an end-user client, you know, thinks they have a need and all of you have gotten used to the new language, you know, we call that pain points now that uh, so that we have to solve. But these things are under the water um, for, to both the product management and channel managers because the, the internal diagnostics of potential uh, uh, customer is going on and, and they, they realize they've got to fix something. They've got to buy a piece of software, they have to buy your product or 
whatever it happens to be, and it's the recognition that we may not be doing as well as we should, and says, okay, we've got to find some way to fix this. So they immediately go into internal you know, problem diagnostics, none of this being shared with either uh, uh, with your company because it's an internal uh, evaluation by a potential client. All right. Once they think they've got the problem diagnosed, they move on to uh, treatment options. Okay, so how do we fix it? Well, what do we do? Which would be the best type of solution? And then uh, treatment selection. Okay, we think this is the best idea. Only at that point, after all, I mean, two thirds of this process is done, do they start going out and looking for uh, a potential supplier to come along and solve the problem. All right, and hopefully by that getting uh, an, an effective cure. So what, we, what we've got here is the, the business adoption buying process, all right, goes through the symptoms and the pain, all right, the diagnosis, functional requirements, and finally getting to the vendor and, and implementation. Well, yeah, Berlo recognized that this was sort of the, uh, uh, the journey, the buyer's journey they've got to go through to uh, make what they think is going to be an acceptable purchase. But what we wanted to point out is the supplier is going through a similar you know, kind of journey. Um, the, Product manager is back here trying to create brand awareness. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, and that is a problem uh, if, if your um, branding isn't as strong, all right? But the whole idea is that we got to produce some sort of leads or some sort of opportunity awareness in the marketplace so our channel manager then can come in, work with the distributor, convert those sales, start a sales funnel, and finally get to implementation. So it's, it's obvious here that both of these internal departments have, have huge joint uh, issues that, that they're to optimize revenue and growth and profitability that they've got to be able to work together uh, to, to do. And that's where these relationship issues sometimes come up. Not the need recognition, they know they need to do this, but sometimes the skill sets in working internally can be uh, uh, lacking. Uh, not, you know, again, everybody's focused on their hitting their own internal objectives, and sometimes it's hard to, you know, think about what the objectives of the other guy are. So, the, the, at Berlin, what we had to do is we had to focus both product management and uh, the channel managers on this, this really pre-buying issue. How do we get ourselves in, you know, the, the, the need to, to get closer to the time or that, that buyer is recognizing all right, that he, he needs to purchase something to solve a problem that he's got. So the relationship building that we had to do at Burla was to get the product manager and the channel manager to work together on how do we actually enter a sales cycle all right, that at this early point when we have some real potential advantage of being first in or uh, maybe even collaborating with the, uh, the, the customer on a solution, which gives us almost a kind of exclusivity. Now, as we go through the normal buying for the treatment options and, and the treatment selection that the buyer uh, path is taking, it takes us one step away from that early entry process because the end users are now forming uh, judgments about what they think the best direction is going to be. And if you're not there, it could be somebody else's uh, uh, deal instead of yours. Okay, So we had to move Burla back there and that meant getting the channel managers and the product managers into a much more uh, productive uh, relationship, okay? So part of the solution was this. 
Okay, we got an old account relationship model here. Many of you have seen this one, all right? Where in most companies we have an account manager, or in this case a channel manager, uh, that works with a primary uh, uh, customer contact, all right? And it's, it's mostly point to point. Uh, it's even more complex in external relationships because you've got the uh, distributors out there or your value-added resellers out there that have to be considered in the model as, as well. But what we're trying to do is get back to that left side of the uh, uh, the last graphic, all right, and enter our, our sales cycles as early as possible, and we're going to need a lot of cooperation between departments to, uh, to do that. So the, the, the end result is how do I flatten out the organizations so I can have internal discussions going on directly with end user uh, resources, getting tech people to talk to tech people, getting uh, uh, supply chain people to talk to their counterparts, the, right, the involvement, it, it shows better commitment. Now in, in Burla's case, this was all very highly targeted. Uh, so we, had, we were making sure that the target uh, marketplace we were going after, all right, uh, was was addressed and, and the effort we were going to put out was was going to be worthwhile because we're having more resources involved in the sales cycle. All right. So you, again, if you put this all into uh, a larger ecosystem, you, you've got the business development concerns that the channel manager has and the market development. All right. But look at all the moving parts on the inside of this this model that have to work together. So it's imperative, all right, that, that these two people begin to, to understand more about how each other operates and how to utilize and function with each other, all right, so we're actually increasing share of mind, increasing uh, uh, top of mind with the distributor who represents the products then uh, more frequently downstream, all right, and, and we're capturing information that are going to help us uh, improve our lead conversion all right, uh, on these uh, these opportunities as we come along. So there's a lot of moving parts here. So the next thing we're going to get into here is a discussion. Uh, how do you how do you how do you solve this problem? How do you actually get all right improvements between departments who do have day-to-day -day different functions that they have to work on, but are bound in this collaboration effort? All right, to to, to optimize the. Uh, uh, the uh, uh, objectives, okay, how we, how we get to the end. Okay, so some of you are familiar, <laughs> those of you that have been here before, you know our little Lego model, right? So we have necessary skill sets, that's where we start off when we look at uh, what your channel program looks like. Uh, then we have the data analytics and say, okay, what information do we need to have uh, to optimize these, uh, these environments, to which we put the willingness to invest all right, and, and investment is usually mostly the time. And it's not that we have to create a new budget for things; those budgets are created. But yes, it does take time and money to uh, uh, to build good channel programs. Then setting clear strategies and making sure that we can uh, manage those effectively. And if you were on our value proposition uh, uh, webinar, you know that that component is critical, and it's also really difficult. So the next Lego box we're talking about here is this one. That's the partnering mindset, all right? That goes back to the blue box at the bottom in, in terms of necessary skill sets. Now remember, in, in most of the models that we're concerned with, and most of the uh, corporations that we work with, 
the the skill sets tend to be hard skills that we teach people to sell we teach people processes we do we do that one of the things that we know doesn't happen in here is an increase in these very unique set of highly learnable partnering skills and so we're going to walk you through some of the elements of that so Doris why don't you take us through the next set of slides here thanks Mike <clears throat> so cross-functional teamwork really is another form of partnering. I know that's not how people uh, often think about it, but frankly, um, when you need to, you're a channel manager, you need customer service, or you need to work with your product management or marketing team, you are creating a partnership of sorts that uh, requires basic partnering skills. Um, and one of the things that we use, I think, as a lot of you know, the Steve Dent's Partnering Intelligence Framework. We're big fans of that. Um, and Steve is an absolutely adamant that you cannot, cannot form strong alliances, uh, whether those are joint venture partnerships or, or supplier relationships or uh, key vendor relationships or with your external sales partners and, and channel partners unless you first have strong internal partnerships. Now you might say, well, why is that? Um, but a lot of it is because, frankly, you need delivery to, to really execute with your third, your, your external partners. You can't typically do it alone. And I'll give you an example. Channel managers, those of you who are or have been channel managers or work with them, know you can have the best partnering skills in the world and develop a relationship with your distributors. But if you have a crummy, the partners have a really crummy interaction or series of interactions with customer service, or the tech support people don't get back to them, uh, or the shipping and logistics people don't fulfill the shipments, don't help them with returns or damages, then before you know it, all the work that the channel partner has done, or the channel manager has done in developing this strong partnership with distributors starts to go out the window. The other thing that often happens is, is that people are smart. Partners, external partners are really smart. And if they start to realize you don't have your internal act together in terms of how those partners are supposed to interact with your organization, before long, you'll find them dividing and conquering. Uh, and that's not because they're mean people or, or opportunistic manipulators. It's simply they know to get things done. They know how to go around certain functions. They know how to go up the chain and they can create chaos in your organization um, and play off functions against each other. And I'll bet uh, many of you on the call have experienced that firsthand, uh, where partners are calling all over the organization, they're calling the CEO, they're calling the VP sales, whatever it is to get it done, and that's because there weren't enough, there wasn't enough emphasis in internal partnerships and the processes to support that. So how do you go about fixing that? Well, you need a framework to really tackle these issues because a lot of the 
uh, behaviors and assumptions are really deep rooted. Uh, and it's it's oftentimes really hard to go up to somebody. Uh, I don't know, you know, most of you probably had the experience, unless you're really good at remembering people's names, but, you know, how many times have you, you met somebody and you forgot their name? And then you have some more interactions with them and before long you're like, what, what is that person's name? How do I... Yeah, how can I manipulate the situation to ask somebody else to get their name out of them so I don't have to ask them because it's too embarrassing at this point. Well, those kinds of things you have in spades. Um, it's almost like family dynamics, you know, where uh, no matter how hard you try without some sort of intervention, you're back to a lot of the same behavior. So the partnering intelligence framework, it's not the only framework out there, but it is validated, which means that there's been a lot of work that went into testing and actually validating that the things that are measured in this framework actually are true. So let's talk about a little bit about how that would work. So the partnering intelligence framework, just as an example, it measures six key aspects of your personal orientation to partnering. Uh, and you can see the six that are listed here. Um, and the interesting thing is, is that most people who take this, their first reaction is, I don't think that's right. Um, and, and this is where the validation part comes in. So people who take it, for example, um, might be low on ability to trust. And uh, their response is, is well, I, I'm a trusting person. I don't see this isn't right. There must be something wrong with it. Uh, the problem with that approach is that when it's validated, uh, the real uh, the real work starts to come when you look in the mirror. Each and every one of us, me too, because I had things when I took it that that surprised me, uh, is to look in the mirror and say, "Wait a minute. So maybe I'm not quite as trusting as I thought." Why do I believe I'm trusting when the data seems to show I'm not? How does that uh, lack of trust or ability to automatically trust people, how does that potentially impact my interactions with people? So it starts with an understanding of your own uh, style and how that can have implications. And then you move to team dynamics. So let me give you just one example. Um, we're actually in the process of updating the graphics here to make them a little, uh, a little more updated, but this is what happens. This is just a typical example of what we call the partnering quotient um, test. And so uh, on our last webinar, some of you might have even taken it. We offered it to you as an individual for free. Um, but here's what happened. Here's an, a real life example. This was actually given to 10 different people, six people in company A, which was the supplier, and four people in company B, which was uh, the distributors organization. And that you can start to see that this tool really um, delivers some powerful messages. So let's take a look just at the first two elements of the partnering framework, past and future orientation and comfort with change. The first thing to look at is the red line. That's the average um, of, of where all 10 of these people came out. So let me just say that 
based on all the data that we've collected of several thousand people who have taken this, that is on the low side. So what does that tell you? That tells you the team, meaning the supplier and the distributor as a whole, tend to be more past-oriented, meaning I don't necessarily have an open mind about what our future should hold. I'm going to expect things to be pretty much like they already have been. Um, and also the team as a whole is low on comfort with change, uh, below average, meaning that if you're going to expect this team to come up with a lot of innovations and out-of-box ideas, probably not happening. Um, so you can see that that, um, that that leads to some interesting dialogues about maybe your own internal teams. You know, if you want a high-performance, um, you know, out-of-box creative thinker, you might, just as one example, use this tool to say, who are those people that, uh, that are the out-of-box thinkers? And let's stack the team of people who are working on that partnering relationship with people who are like that. Another interesting observation that you get to see from looking at the data displayed on a team function is look at the lowest score, look at the highest score. So uh, this chart doesn't actually show uh, on which team each of those people were, but it's pretty obvious when you look at this that there, if you, especially the comfort with change, if you look at that purple box, the lowest person, um, not comfortable with change at all. And then you've got somebody who's way up there in the five, almost to the five range. Uh, you think maybe there might be a little bit of disconnect and a little bit of tension uh, between those two individuals indeed and sometimes that comes out in outright hostility but because in our Western culture for the most part that's not rewarded a lot of times what happens is uh, some pretty passive aggressive behavior uh, I was telling Mike that uh, that I have a colleague who was telling me about his internal conflicts and he's in the business unit of a larger corporation uh, that you'd all recognize the name um, but he basically said, our corporate functions are so terrible, it's my biggest problem. It gives me headaches all the time. I actively look for ways to go around those people. Um, and so that's what often happens when you have such big disconnects uh, on a team of people. So how do you deal with that? Um, though it's First of all, the awareness is really interesting, and we take people through a series of uh, a team of people through an entire series of exercises looking at that and identifying it and coming up with some of the practical ways that that actually starts to reflect itself in how the team performs and interacts with each other. Um, but you can basically use these tools to, um, in a safe environment, to open up the dialogue, to really facilitate understanding so that um, there's no right or wrong to any of these, but um, the interesting thing is to understand the communication style so that the dialogue starts, communication gets opened up, people start to appreciate different perspectives, and um, the scores usually, by the way, do change after people actively work on their partnering skills. 
Um, so we're actually putting together some data to look at how those partnering skills uh, improve through after going through this program, but they do improve. They are learnable skills. Uh, and inevitably, trust is improved, collaboration is improved, free flow of ideas improved. And when it comes to product management and channel managers, obviously, uh, you really want that free flow of ideas. And most importantly, it delivers measurable results. So at the end of the day, Talking is great, but what you really want is performance and uh, and the results that come from it. Um, so in conclusion, um, product managers and channel managers clearly have different needs. They have different perspectives, but there's also a lot of opportunity for them to work more effectively together. And we really advocate using a framework, uh, obviously, we love the partnering intelligence framework, but I, you know, I'll candidly tell you it's not the only framework out there. It's the only one that I know of that's validated, though, which has a real advantage. Um, and use that framework to initiate and evolve your dialogue so that your partners, uh, both internal and then externally, really have uh, really become reach their potential and become high-performing partners. All right, so before we talk about uh, the next webinar, um, let's, um, let's talk about some questions. Um, Mike, are you, are you ready to take a few questions? We've got, uh, we've got a couple questions that have come in. Are you ready? Absolutely. Uh, by the way, um, just yesterday, and I didn't get it until late yesterday, so I haven't even been able to talk to Doris about it, we had our first review meeting at Burla. The feedback is incredibly positive from both the, the distributor side, uh, the channel manager side, and the product management side, because that's where we had to create this collaboration. Uh, their, their collective uh, review indicated that the pipeline, uh, that is uh, more opportunities, had gone up by 13%, with, and this has only been in effect a few months. So making some of these agreement expectation agreements and you know conflict resolution agreements, which is part of you know how, how these skills actually are deployed. Uh, when when you, you finally learn the the basics of it, uh, it, it does have a really significant measurable impact. So questions. Okay, uh, the first question comes from Bob. Um, aren't some of the disconnects you've talked about pretty endemic? to sales versus marketing overall. After all, indirect sales channels are really just another route to sales, right? So don't you need to fix those bigger disconnects first? Well, yeah, Bob, <laughs> sounds like an experienced guy. So, yeah, uh, addressing these things, it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, remember, we've got different departmental uh, perspectives going on. So there's a need in the relationship to be able to sit down and prioritize. Uh, and different different departments can have different perspectives on, you know, what what are the important uh, uh, issues to to be addressed. So, a great example of of, of this is, is is what we had to do at, at Berlin and get these people at a table developing methodology, all right, to how go about making determinations of which issues we need to attack first and second, and and, and that's an, an entire skill set. But it comes down to priorities, obviously. 
right? Well, let's let's set a, a, a joint uh, group of priorities in, in terms of how we think we can uh, resolve these issues and then and put it to put it to work. So that that's why that this framework is so critically important in the self-knowledge of how you operate in these environments. Great, thank you, Mike. Um, all right, so uh, the next question comes from Sarah. Um, product management and marketing are two separate functions in our company. Are you saying in that case that all three functions have to work more closely together? Oh, yes, I am. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the uh, architecture of different companies, depending on how big you are, how small you are, how many resources you have, and so forth. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just, just as the DDM uh, line suggests, uh, there may be other dependencies uh, that uh, we, we, we have to look at depending on how your, your organization is, is structured. Um, it's, it's not unusual in complex organizations that uh, to, to really fix the problem, to, to be making effective the interdependency of product management, marketing, uh, direct sales, indirect sales, uh, customer service support report whatever it is all of them at some point need to need to get involved if we're going to have an, a, an effective operating in, in environment and and that's a challenge I mean I've been working on the Birla project for 18 uh, months all right and a lot of that was the internal stuff that we were doing just recently I got back from Kuala Lumpur and uh, Barcelona as, as we're implementing it now with the uh, the, the distributors so yeah, um, but it went a heck of a lot faster, even in a big complex organization like Berla, um, because we had the framework uh, to rely on, and we had the individual tools of uh, personal recognition uh, to, uh, to, to rely on as well. So very, very, very useful. Great, thanks, Mike. Uh, so a question from Fred about using tools. Um, and I think he's talking about tools more like CRMs um, as a as a as a as a way to also bridge gaps or create um, what he describes as a single source of truth. Do you have any any comments on that? Well, I'm I'm, I'm a technology advocate. You know, I, I like to use it. the CRM as a container uh, for information in and of itself. It doesn't resolve conflict issues. It may highlight them uh, and there are a variety of other tools out there as well which we find you know fundamentally important to ongoing communication the ability to spot the trends in uh, uh, in the marketplace um, <laughs> a lot of my sales friends out there you know you know are sometimes a little uh, uh, concerned about how much time they're taking with these tools but you know, the data has to be collected so that we can jointly look at the uh, look at the solution. So, yeah, we can integrate. All right. Once you, once you understand the framework, all right, and once you understand your personal orientation to uh, relationships, all right, which is a, a, a necessary uh, a way to recognize, uh, you know, how am I going to employ these new skill sets? All right. Um, I, have, I have no problem in in utilizing it as a component, but obviously the most important ones are going to be the ones where. You know, we're sitting down uh, uh, in face-to-face uh, -face, uh, uh, communications, or if you're an international organization, you may be doing a, a lot of this uh, with uh, 
you know, uh, electronic communication or um, the the weekly, uh, uh, you know, review calls, something of that nature. But now, certainly consider how that can be done, uh, and where the where the data for the different departments is going to reside. Mike, I think you've already uh, talked about this one, but a question from Raj. Um, product managers and channel managers could definitely communicate better in my company, but where we really have problems is with customer service. How do we bridge that? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, that's funny. Uh, th thanks for the question. I, I appreciate it. it uh, yeah, that, that, that came up. That came up in the, this last project. Um, the, the the amount of information amazingly that customer service gets, uh, and and we were just talking about CRM as a tool for capturing data. Um, customer service gets these interactions all day long, where they're getting feedback from customers, they're getting impressions of customers. Uh, one of the things we <laughs> it came up is uh, the customer service person at Verla was uh, getting data, and and they, they I was there for the. Uh, uh, the, the thing, and they they started to chuckle because this uh, end user customer uh, got online and asked what to this person was a really stupid question. Why would they even think this product could do something like that? <clears throat> and I had to stop them. And I I pointed out. I said, look, yeah, it, it may be a, um, a a lesser informed type of uh, observation by the uh, uh, by the customer. But what does it make you think? Why, why did they think that? Is there something in our marketing that led them to believe this product could do something? Or is there something in our downstream contact with the marketplace, channel managers or uh, distributors that aren't adequately explaining uh, something to the, uh, the marketplace? So sometimes these little aha moments when a, when a customer asks a question that uh, surprises you, some, sometimes those are the best learning environments. So we had to go down then, when, once I had that recognition, I went back to the CEO and I sat down and I said, you know, we're actually going to have to get these people into the loop as well because they're getting information that uh, could be extremely useful in improving um, our, our, our growth and our conversion rates and as a result our profitability. So, you know, great observation. It's, uh, uh, it, it's very interesting. Sometimes these groups can, you know, expand over time as the recognition of how the interface is uh, required to be productive. Thanks, Mike. Um, so a question or a comment from Chuck around um, using the concept of key account management to help um, bridge these gaps. Is that, uh, is, is that something you want to comment on, Mike? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, for uh, in 1980, I, I started the first national accounts uh, uh, concept and ended up doing webinars for or, or seminars rather for uh, American Management Association, and then later Frost and Sullivan and other you know big global uh, uh, companies. Um, key account management is 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 a it's a targeted element as its name implies. All right, not everybody qualifies as a as a key account. So t sometimes I think it is useful to contain these initiatives in the beginning all right, to a manageable set of targeted uh, uh, customers. And that would certainly mean the key account management skills that come in, and you, you probably have key account managers that have been well-trained in this stuff, uh, is an, an important uh, uh, component of coming up with an overall uh, uh, solution. Yes. 
great. Um, all right, uh, a question, I get in theory how we can help each other, but from a practical perspective, how in the world do you bridge that gap? Well, I think that's right in your wheelhouse, Doris. <laughs> well, I, I think that's where um, what we talked about is using a framework um, and, and using a little facilitation. I know, you know, it's interesting, everybody thinks they're good at partnering and um, it's kind of like the 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 survey that, that gets done pretty typically, you can go on the internet, you can find this data. Um, if you ask 100 people, are you an above average driver? About 90% of the people who answer would say, indeed, I'm an above average driver. Well. We all know from our basic math classes that this is not possible. It's not the laws of the loss of time and space do not permit that. Eighty percent or ninety percent of the people cannot be above average drivers. And I guess I've never asked people this ahead of time. We've we've toyed with this idea as just asking people um, as part of our partnering um, exercises and facilitation. How many of you think you're above average in terms of your partnering? I'm going to guess we're, we'll, we'd get very similar kinds of data where most people would say, I'm great at teamwork, I'm very good at partnering, and yet the, the validated data shows people really aren't. And um, as I said, you know, there's a lot of ingrained behavior that happens, um, and quite frankly, the most ideal way to change a lot of that is to start with the senior executive team. That's not what the senior execs often want to hear. They just want to hear, you know, get those teams to talk to each other a lot more. But uh, once you start those discussions, you will start to hear them say, well, I'm doing this because my VP of sales or our CEO or our CFO says this is what we measure and this is how we do it. Or I, I don't get rewarded for any of those kind of behaviors. So like any kind of cultural change, it really happens best from the top. Just no kidding around about that. But, um, but if you can't convince the senior management team to get on board with it uh, and really champion it, you can still make a lot of progress with teams internally. But, um, but it is difficult to do without external facilitation. And again, I'm not saying that to pitch our services. I'm saying it, it is really, um, it, it really, you run the risk of stepping on people's toes to broach some of these topics uh, about how they communicate or how they support you. And um, facilitation, uh, whether it's us or whether it's uh, another organization, really can help open up uh, some of those lines of communication. Um, okay, um, all right, um, another question is, uh, and I think I just touched on this, that uh, I think a lot of our disconnects in our organization are because the, the different functions align, um, incentives are not aligned properly. Um, and um, Mike, do you want to comment on that or do you want me to take that? Yeah, well, I mean, when it comes to the idea of incentives, there are all kinds of incentives. Obviously, some are buried into the performance evaluations uh, that we get, the things that we uh, we measure uh, on uh, on that end. 
Um, the incentive overall, really, though, is when we're getting to the agreements uh, such as uh, an understanding of our joint and mutual uh, uh, objectives, uh, getting an objectives agreement out there that we, we were both comfortable with, or uh, under the framework having a conflict resolution agreement in terms of, well, issues are going to come up, or, you know, rather than you know, um, sitting down and arguing about it, let's go back to our framework and, uh, and, and work through it until we come up with an acceptable uh, um, joint agreement. And I, I don't mean necessarily compromises. We, we do realize that sometimes because of the nature of two groups or our culture of a particular company, uh, so, sometimes relationships just don't work. All right, you, you've got to abandon them. Um, a lot of you guys have had to uh, to uh, fire the distributors because it was oil and water. All right. So the incentive is really what, what are we both going to get out of this? In this case, obviously, we're looking for sales growth and and uh, and profitability that both product management and channel management uh, get uh, get recognized for. Yeah. Um, at some point, yeah, I think uh, that yeah. That looking at other kinds of incentives, uh, uh, depending on how your organization is structured, would be useful if we can put it into a, a reasonable format for both teams. Yep. All right. Um, actually, we've got a couple other questions that come in, but unfortunately, we are out of time, and we will get back to you individually after the webinar with question uh, to, to respond to your questions. Be sure of that. Uh, Laura, um, can I turn it back to you for a quick wrap-up? Absolutely. Thank you very much, Mike and Doris, for sharing your time and expertise with us. And also thanks to the participants. Um, we did have a lot of action on our, our questions panel, so we really appreciate that uh, you guys are participating with us as well. And as Doris had mentioned, we will get back to you privately uh, by email following uh, this webinar. Uh, again, look out for our next webinar on January 24th. Uh, we have more details that will be coming soon, but you can also go ahead and register and receive more information at our website, globalocityservices.com. And that's it for today. Uh, again, if there are any specific questions and you want to reach out to either of our presenters, their information is right here on the screen. And that is all, everyone. Have a wonderful day. Thanks so much, everybody, for joining us. Thanks, guys.